WEWN and St. Michael Productions presents The Beauty and Splendor of the New Catechism, featuring Douglas Bushman, Director of the Institute of Religious and Pastoral Studies at the University of Dallas. And now, Douglas Bushman and the Catechism Explained. Today we begin a series of reflections on the recently published Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Catechism, as we know, has been available in English translation for several months now. And yet its publication has been preceded and followed by unprecedented attention. Evidenced in the countless essays, articles, addresses, symposia, conferences, books, and tapes, both video and audio, dedicated to scrutiny, commentary, criticism, interpretation, and implementation of the Catechism. Those who identify themselves as Catholic as well as those who do not seem to recognize the historic nature of the Catechism's publication. After all, ours is an age marked by its consciousness of history, and the only other Catechism of this kind, that is, an official and authoritative Catechism for the whole of the Church, was published over 400 years ago in 1566. Yet it would be a mistake, I believe, to attribute the attention the Catechism has received merely to its unique place in history. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is not an event like the landing of men on the moon, and it calls for a quite different kind of response than merely being present at the time, along with millions of others who witnessed the lunar landing and who were united through radio and television and great gatherings such as the one at Times Square. The Catechism is much more than just another event on a historical timeline. In a sense, it can even be said that the Catechism embraces all of history and offers meaning to all of history. And the reason that it does this is because of its message, that is, the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, as Pope John Paul II has proclaimed in his first encyclical, the center of the universe and of history. This, I believe, is the only adequate explanation for the huge success the Catechism has enjoyed in terms of copies sold and the discussion that it has, it has occasioned. This explanation, I must admit, is compelling and cogent only from the perspective of faith itself. And that is the very perspective from which this series of reflections will approach the Catechism. In fact, the connection between the Catechism of the Catholic Church and faith is so important to a proper understanding of the Catechism, its message, and its purpose, that this will be the focus of the first few reflections in this series. Before we begin to consider the relation of the Catechism to faith, a note about how the material of these reflections has been gathered together. The Catechism has already demonstrated itself to be a two-edged sword, or a sign of contradiction. The brisk sales and unprecedented attention it has received reveal that the Catechism has been received quite differently by different people. A review of literature and of talks given on the Catechism show that while many hail it as a great gift to the Church and receive it enthusiastically, others are clearly distressed by it and have openly expressed their disappointment. On the one hand, there should be no surprise in this, the Catechism is, in the final analysis, a witness to Jesus Christ, and he is the sign of contradiction, according to the words of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verse 34. 
As the encounter with Christ was for his contemporaries the occasion of falling or rising, depending upon a person's faith, so too for the catechism. As a gift from God, its ability to serve us and lead us closer to God depends upon our response of faith. There is always a temptation to interpret a text which has the potential of challenging my standards of truth and my standards of goodness according to those very standards. There's always the temptation to project my interpretation upon a text. And already we hear a great deal about the Catechism of the Catholic Church. There are many interpretations that are offered, and interpretation is inevitable, but not all interpretations are equal in value. Probably everyone is aware of the debate that has gone on since the time of the publication's appearance regarding the question as to who should read it. Is it intended for everyone with faith, for every believer, or is it really to be read and interpreted by the bishops and their theological experts, those who are on the forefront of catechetical activity of the church, and that they should pass on their insights and interpretations to the simple faithful. In my travels, I've heard many people express concern about these two opposed positions. Well, actually, if we consider things rightly, we will see that there's a grain of truth in both. Everyone should read the Catechism, and everyone can profit from the gift of theological interpretation. But if we stop to think a moment about the Bible and an experience that I'm sure is common to many people. Many people read the Bible profitably without the help of an interpreter or a theologian or scripture scholar. They find their faith edified and enriched by doing so. Experience shows that the fundamental disposition required for reading the Bible profitably is faith itself. Yet experience also shows that the very people who read the Bible, perhaps in their own homes, on their own, find and appreciate greater insights that come to them by reading commentaries on Scripture or attending Bible studies led by a competent scholar or theologian. I think the same thing can be said about the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Anyone who is an honest seeker of the truth and is willing to take the time to read and reflect can read the Catechism very profitably and enter more fully into the mind of the Catholic Church. And yet the Catechism holds certain themes and insights which yield themselves more readily to people who are skilled at the craft of theology. Therefore, in order to benefit from this gift, which is the Catechism, to the very maximum, we should take advantage of all of the gifts that God has given His Church, our own faith, by which our hearts are opened up as we read it, but also the gift of theological reflection. In this series of reflections, I have tried to let the Catechism speak for itself. This has resulted concretely in a prioritization of the use of various sources. In particular, priority has been given to the materials made available by the very authors of the Catechism. Among these, there are several that are worthy of mention. The first is a book entitled Introduction to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's published by Ignatius Press. 
And its two contributors are Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger and Bishop Christoph Schönborn. The second is a book entitled Reflections on the Catechism of the Catholic Church, edited by James Socias and published by the Midwest Theological Forum in Chicago. Now, what's important about both of these is that the authors are the very men who wrote the Catechism. This is a unique opportunity for us. How many of us who have read the Bible wouldn't give our right arm to have the opportunity to sit with St. Matthew or St. Mark or St. Luke and ask them what they meant when they wrote a certain passage that we find difficult to understand? The authors of the Catechism are alive still, and they have made their thoughts and their insights what they were thinking about when they wrote the Catechism, available to a wide audience through talks, conferences, and publications. Obviously, these types of sources enjoy a special claim to authority because they are the works of the very men who wrote the Catechism. They can speak about the intention of the Catechism, its purpose and its meaning, from a completely different perspective than anyone else. Another article that is very much worth mentioning is that by Archbishop William Leveda, who, by the way, is the only American who was on the editing committee for the Catechism. He wrote an article called The New Catechism, an Overview, which appeared in the publication Origins in April of 1994. It's one of the finest overviews of the Catechism and some of its main themes that I'm aware of. Now, there are other reliable commentaries and reflections on the Catechism. One which is particularly worthy of mention is that of Father Alfred McBride. His book, Essentials of the Faith, A Guide to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, published by our Sunday Visitor Press, is outstanding because of the lengths to which the author has gone to let the Catechism speak for itself and to avoid imposing upon it his own personal views or interpretation. In this series of reflections, I have, I have endeavored to do the same. By reading the text, in light of the commentaries, and in light of the addresses, conferences, articles by the very men who wrote it, my desire is to bring to you the essential themes of the Catechism. That having been said, let's move now to consider the Catechism as a gift to the Church from the Holy Spirit. The Catechism is a gift to the Church of today from the Holy Spirit who guides the Church throughout the centuries and leads the Church into the fullness of truth according to our Lord's promise. To be properly used and implemented as a gift from God, we must keep our hearts fixed on the giver rather than the gift. And this is what is so essential if we're going to approach the Catechism properly. In his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 15, St. Paul writes, Thanks be to God for his gift which is beyond all telling. These words expressing St. Paul's gratitude for the gift of redemption in Christ are perfectly suited to begin this series of reflections on the new catechism. The catechism is a gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. And the first step in implementing it is simply to recognize it as a gift from God.
Throughout the history of the church, the Holy Spirit's role has been to bear witness to Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, St. Paul writes, No one can say Jesus Christ is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The Catechism takes its place as the most recent authoritative witness of the church to the church's perennial faith, a witness that's entirely focused on God's love revealed in Jesus Christ. The witness of the Holy Spirit throughout the church's history is accomplished through the interaction of two sets of complementary gifts. On the one hand, there are gifts that are associated with revelation, its transmission, and authentic interpretation. These are the gifts of the apostolic ministry and the magisterium, resulting in a witness which is guaranteed by Jesus Christ himself. On the other hand, there are the gifts that bring the good news of God's love manifested in Jesus Christ into our hearts. These are the graces of the preparation for conversion, the grace of faith, and the supernatural sense of faith which assists believers in discerning between God's word and the words of men, and permitting them to penetrate more deeply into the meaning of revelation and allowing them to apply it to their lives. The catechism belongs to the set of gifts exercised by the apostles and their successors in the transmission and interpretation of divine revelation. In order for this gift to produce the intended fruit of enriching our faith, we must pray for and cooperate with the Spirit's other gifts, and primarily the gift of faith. This is, I believe, a great opportunity for the church. The Catechism has generated a great deal of publicity and attention, has sparked tremendous interest in its content. With the eyes of faith, we can see this as God's way of tilling the soil of people's minds and hearts. The Catechism, though it presents the Church's faith in a way especially suited to our times, does not make conversion obsolete. St. Paul deliberately chose to forego using the persuasive eloquence of oratory and philosophy, preferring to preach the simple and challenging gospel of Christ crucified, as he writes in the first two chapters of the, his first letter to the Corinthians. The Catechism is a monument to this very same gospel, and there is no other, and there is no other authentic response to it than that of faith. But faith always calls for conversion. And this is the challenge of implementing the Catechism. It is easy to get caught up in the excitement of the Catechism. As we've said, it's a rare event, only the second official Catechism of its kind. It's generated so much attention, publicity. The Catechism follows in the line with the Second Vatican Council, which also has generated a process of renewal in the Church, a resurging and, re and enriching of faith. And the Catechism must always be understood in light of that renewal of the Second Vatican Council. But amid all this excitement and novelty, we need to keep in mind that the Gospel message is unchanging and timeless. It is tempting to think that the renewal in the Church that the Second Vatican Council initiated can come about by some new program that it is all a question of careful organization and of packaging the product correctly. It's as if we were saying to ourselves, 
Finally, we have the answer we've been looking for. Can, the, can renewal in the church be so easy? Can we afford to have that kind of attitude as we approach the catechism? Is the catechism a greater gift than the gift of the inspired scriptures? An attitude which overemphasizes the role that the catechism might play in the renewal of the church overlooks the real challenge of renewal, and that is, there is nothing new. Renewal has less to do with changing structures and writing new catechisms, important as these may be, and much more to do with the changing of hearts. Again, we face the question of conversion. Faith requires a constant conversion to Christ in the truth, and the Catechism's success will surely depend upon the generosity with which the people of God take it to heart and pursue the renewal that comes with growth in faith. We then, the first generation to receive the new Catechism, have the opportunity to write the most important chapter of its history. I'm talking about the chapter that tells the story of how it, it, how it served to advance the renewal of the Second Vatican Council and how it served to enrich the faith of all believers and how those believers responded to it with conversion. The Catechism, we know, has its specific history linked with the extraordinary synod of bishops that took place in 1985, at which time the Holy Father and a select n number of bishops came together to reflect on how the Church was doing in its implementation of the Second Vatican Council. The extraordinary synod at one point, in its statement to the world, said that the Church makes itself more credible when it speaks less of itself and more of Christ. The same can be said of the New Catechism. Its real meaning lies in its ability to point beyond itself to the love of God manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. And the final indication and measure that it will have been rightly used will be that people begin to speak more about Christ than about the Catechism. This, though, depends upon the faith of the people who employ and read the Catechism. As I said, faith calls for conversion, and there's no getting around that. The Catechism, as a witness to faith, and as a witness to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, can do nothing other than call us to deepening conversion as well. It's not a secret, I think, at this point, for me to point out that the Catechism has been responded to in really quite different ways by different groups of people. On the one hand, there are those who see the Catechism, I might say, as an instrument of revenge. Those faithful ones who have become frustrated with the modern catechetical movement, those who have held the faith and have become perhaps weary, now run the risk, some of them, of overreacting now that the Catechism is here. We were right all along, they might be saying to themselves. Now we can know for sure, and we can prove that you've been wrong. But the Catechism is much more than that. And that kind of an attitude can very effectively keep Jesus Christ and his message and conversion at a safe distance. On the other extreme, there are those who decided even before the Catechism was published that they didn't like it, 
I would like to read a passage from the prophet Jeremiah that I think is one that we can profitably reflect on as we approach the catechism. Because it reveals something about the call to faith. Jeremiah, as we know, was a prophet of gloom and doom. And one gets the impression that the people uh, thanked the Lord every day when Jeremiah did not show up with a new message. And they tended to have a lot of anxiety and dread thinking about his coming into the town and proclaiming a word from God because that word was always difficult to accept and challenging to their own way of understanding things and the mysterious ways of God. In the 23rd chapter of Jeremiah, we see our Lord talking through Jeremiah and expressing not only disappointment, but great frustration at this attitude which betrays lack of faith. Apparently, when the people saw Jeremiah coming, they had coined an expression, and they called his message from God a burden. So in response, here's what God says. And when this people or a prophet or a priest asks you, what is Yahweh's burden? You must answer in this way. You are the burden, and I shall get rid of you, Yahweh declares. As for the prophet, the priest, or anyone else who says Yahweh's burden, I shall punish that man and his household too. This is the way that you should speak to one another among yourselves. What answer has Yahweh given, or what has Yahweh said? But you must stop using the expression Yahweh's burden, for what each man says will be his own responsibility. And you twist the words of the living God, the words of Yahweh Sabaoth our God. This is the way that you must speak to a prophet. What answer has Yahweh given, or what has Yahweh said? But if you say Yahweh's burden, then Yahweh says this, Since you use the expression Yahweh's burden, when I have warned you to stop saying Yahweh's burden, believe me, I shall pick you up and fling you from my presence, you and the city I gave to you and to your ancestors. I shall bring down everlasting shame on you, everlasting and unforgettable disgrace. So we read in the final verses of chapter 23 of the prophet Jeremiah. I think that passage is one that we can all take to heart and prayerfully reflect on. There will be a confrontation between our way of thinking, between our limited grasp of the mysterious ways of God, and what the Catechism contains. And that confrontation calls for a conversion. This is unavoidable. But we can all ask, what is our attitude as we approach the Catechism? Do we open it up in the hopes of only finding what will confirm what we already believe? Or are we open to being challenged to growth, to conversion, to enrichment of faith? The purpose of the Catechism is both to confirm our faith to the extent that it is correct and fully lived, and to challenge us to live it more fully by giving us a more complete understanding of that faith. People should be fairly warned then. And I have a warning. It's taken from the 12th chapter of Luke, verse 48. When someone is given a great deal, a great deal will be demanded of that person. When someone is entrusted with a great deal, of that person, even more will be expected. Older translations summarize it more succinctly. From the person to whom more is given, more will be demanded. This is the risk that each one of us takes as we open the catechism and read it. 
but it's a risk that faith accepts willingly. It's the risk of needing and discovering our need for conversion. This is the purpose of the Catechism, the enrichment of faith. And we read it properly and allow it to fulfill its purpose at this moment in the history of the church by allowing it to reach our hearts and call us to that conversion which is necessary to live up to its message, full discipleship with Jesus Christ. And now I'd like to end this first session with a short passage from the Catechism itself. It's Article 2604. 2604. It's a short passage about the attitude with which our Lord prayed. Jesus' prayer, characterized by thanksgiving, reveals to us how to ask. Before the gift is given, Jesus commits himself to the one who in giving gives himself. The giver is more precious than the gift. He, the giver, is the treasure. In him abides his son's heart. The gift is given as well. The catechism is a great gift from God. In response, we should be open we should open it in a prayerful spirit of faith and gratitude, which marked our Lord's own prayer, as the Catechism describes it. Even before the gift is given, Jesus is attached to the one who gives and who gives himself in his gifts. The giver is more precious than the gift given. If you would like this entire Catechism series on 13 audio tapes presented by Douglas Bushman, or if you'd like to write to Douglas Bushman, Please write to St. Michael Productions, P.O. Box 168485, Irving, Texas, 75016-8485. That address again is St. Michael Productions, P.O. Box 168485, Irving, Texas, 75016-8485. If you'd like a copy of today's cassette program, please specify tape number 101. Thank you for joining us today for The Catechism Explained with Douglas Bushman.